0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Some
1: people hide from love. I don't want to do it no more. Some people hide from love. It just feels so good. But when you got a love and it's good like it should be Makes you never wanna give it up Cause you know that some people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do the same for you
0: Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Murray Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, And she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. is a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning?
2: Well, we're talking about conflict healing and... All, of, all that you need to do when to become an unshackled leader, and we have this wonderful book that I've been reading called Unshackled Leadership by Scott Hunter, and Scott Hunter has a wonderful background as an attorney and many other things. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Scott Hunter's keynotes, coaching, and his book, Unshackled Leadership, have been transforming organizations for two decades. Scott has conducted over 250 corporate retreats and he consistently produces breakthroughs in the participants' relationships with each other. This has predictably produced dramatic shifts in the company's levels of accomplishment and has been key to the company producing extraordinary results. As a consultant and coach, he's worked with over 200 corporate clients in working relationships. And lastly, he has um, he has lasting weekends retreats, and he's been doing this for over 10 years. He's also a professional speaker, and he's delivered over a 1,000 speeches to organizations in every field of endeavor. You can find out more about his book and about him at conflicthealing.com, where you'll see his book, um, his picture, and his URL, which is unshackledleadership.com. Thank you so much. We sure appreciate you coming on. Scott, how are you? My
1: pleasure. I've been looking forward to it.
2: Well, Scott, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background. How is it that you had dramatic change in your life?
1: Well, I, I, as you mentioned, I have a degree in engineering. I went to law school, and I worked in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in Washington, D.C. for four years. And so I came out to California in 1966 to start a career as an intellectual property attorney thinking that I had all the background and training one would need to be successful. The trouble is, I didn't have any life skills. I didn't know how to build relationships. I didn't know how to build a team. I didn't know anything about success. So I kind of stumbled around for a long time. And and when it got so frustrating that I just couldn't stand it anymore, I, I figured there had to be something to learn about life that they didn't teach me in school. and So I went looking for it. And I found some amazing things about people, about business, about life itself. And so ultimately, I decided to retire as a lawyer and continue to learn full-time and to take what I was learning and share it with other people. And so that's what I've been doing, actually, for over 30 years. So it's been exciting.
2: Yes, and I love the subtitle of your book, Building Business Based on Faith, Trust, Possibility, and Abundance. Sounds like all good things. So. Right. You know, so you were talking about relationships. You know, you knew about the law, you knew about engineering, but you have you were on this quest to to learn more about relationships. In your opinion, then, why are relationships so challenging?
1: Well, you've got to go back to basics and look at the nature of us as human beings. And nobody really looks at this. That the fact is that you know, I like to say that human beings are very much like a computer. We have hardware and we have Software and we have a uh, we have a processor. We have memory and but my computer, just like your computer, has lots of different programs. And uh, but a human being only has two. That's an interesting thing. Only has two. But there's the one that we arrived with. So when we arrived, we just wanted to play and have fun. And we had this voice that drove us forward, which was all about play and oneness and togetherness and harmony and love and and uh, that's the way we started. Then this other voice started to take over, and the other voice is the voice of the ego. And nobody really knows really what the ego is, and the ego is the opposite voice. And so in the world of the ego, Laurie, you and I are not together, you're not my friend, uh, we're not, uh, you know, we don't have a positive relationship. The simplest definition of the ego is the part of your mind that literally believes that you are separate and alone in a hostile universe. Albert Einstein said the most important decision we make is do we believe we live in a friendly or a a hostile universe? And the fact of the matter is, because most people live in in an ego-dominated world, they believe that they live in a hostile universe. So I could go into this a little bit more, but really, if I listen to my ego, which is what most people do, You're over there, I'm over here, we're separate, you're the enemy, now let's get along. Well, how could you possibly have relationships that work when both people are thinking at some level that the other person is the enemy?
2: Right, right. So, you know, how do you transform people into seeing that they're not the enemy, that the ego is really distancing us? What do you do?
1: Well... It's, um, I've been talking to a couple of people today Exactly about that You know, the ego is very subtle If you woke up in the morning And uh, you heard this voice And it said So Mario, I want you to know That today's going to be a really, really tough day Because you are separate and alone In a hostile universe Everybody is the enemy And so just watch out uh, You know, you would I don't know, maybe you could do something about that But the ego doesn't tell you it loudly so you could hear it. it 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 whispers it it whispers it in the background so how we have been successful in getting people beyond this is we have a I have a workshop or a speech I give about listening and I show people all of the different ways that they listen and what people begin to realize is oh my god when when uh, you know you listen I do listen the way you way you explain, and, and when I say, well, who do you have your attention on, and they say, well, myself, and I say, what do you think you're concerned about, and they say, well, I'm obviously concerned about my survival, and I say, hello, <laughs> welcome to the world of the ego, so it's kind of like, you got to think about the ego as like hiding behind a curtain, and people don't know it's there, and the only way you can get people beyond beyond it is to pull aside the curtain and have them see it for what it is, and then they say, you know, and then I say, so is that the way you want to go through life? And, of course, they always say no. So then we give them the alternative. And so that's the only way I know to do it.
2: Yeah. So is that what, you talk about that Americans, uh, 50% of American workers are just checked out. What do you mean by thats That they're just not connected to anything at all?
1: Well, uh, that was the latest Gallup poll. The Gallup, uh, Gallup poll said that of the 100 million full-time workers, 50% of them are checked out. It, what it means is they go to work, they have no particular uh, excitement or enthusiasm for their company, for what they do. They just show up, they go through the day, and they, they go home at the end of the day, and uh, they, they collect their paycheck at the end of the week. So they're just checked out. You know they're. It's like the light's on, but nobody's home. They're just kind of going through the motions. Uh, and to make that even worse, 20% are actively disengaged. So they go to work, and they're they clear. They don't want to be there. They don't like it. They don't like their boss. They like what they're doing. And in several ways, they try to sabotage the company because they're actively disengaged. And mostly, mostly the reason for that is, again, they go to work. And they don't feel cared about. They don't feel acknowledged. They don't feel like they're part of anything. The boss, you know, their boss doesn't relate to them as a critical factor in their company. And uh, I said the talk I gave the other day, I said, people don't quit their company. They quit their boss.
2: So, mm. you know, they
1: just go into the motions. That's what I mean by checked out.
2: Right, right. So how come people feel like they're talking to the wall? You were talking a little bit before about people not listening to each other. Is that what you mean that they're just uh, or do you feel like they're they're not people aren't being heard for their creativity or they're just not being heard? What do you mean by that?
1: Okay. So if you take a, a typical human being they go through life with their attention on themselves. They're concerned with their survival. And so when someone talks to them, their internal conversation, which is how they listen, they're listening Which you get to the point or agree-disagree or right-wrong or win-lose or, or cut to the chase or uh, let me finish your sentences for you. So because of the fact that people go through life with their attention on themselves, concerned with their survival, their internal conversation is such that when people talk to them, they have their attention on themselves. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking to someone and they don't have their attention on you and instead they have the attention on themselves, they're thinking about what they're gonna say next, whether they agree with you, whether they disagree with you, whether they like what you're saying, what they're not like you end up feeling like you're talking to the wall. Right. And when I when I have a group of people and I say, How many of you have ever had a, a how many of you, you know, have had the experience where you talk to someone and you felt like you were talking to the wall everybody raises their hand why right (laughs) in order for you not to feel like you're talking to the wall you've got to have your attention on me and most people don't
2: right right sometimes i feel like my husband's talking to the wall (laughs) and i'm sometimes i feel like i'm talking to a wall and sometimes he feels like he's talking to the wall so you really have to focus and and we you know we talk about the the power of effective listening, and so let's let's talk a little bit about that. Like in mediation, that's so important for me to reflect back what my clients are saying, so that they know that they're being understood, so that we can then get to the next level of each party understanding, and we can come to some mutual understanding, and then maybe a mutual solution. So, what do you, how do you approach, you know, giving helping someone to become a better listener?
1: Well, it's it's really interesting. I'm a member of the National Speakers Association, and I've met lots and lots of people that teach communication skills. and, And I'm kind of a smart aleck sometimes, and I've said to many of them, explain to me the phenomenon of listening, and nobody can do it. It's really remarkable. So this is actually so simple, Mari, it'll make your head spin. The phenomenon of listening, the actual phenomenon consists of two components. One, who do you have your attention on, and what's your internal conversation? You can for the rest of your life, there's nothing else to learn about the phenomenon of listening. It consists of A, who do you have your attention on, and B, what's your internal conversation? The reason why most people are lousy listeners is because A, they have their attention on themselves, and B, their internal conversation is some version of get to the point, win-lose, right-long, agree-disagree, find the flaw, attack, something like that. If right. you want to be a great listener, it's not that complicated. Just get your attention on the other person. Shut up that internal conversation. Get, get into their world. Look out of the world through their eyes and see what they're seeing. Listen with compassion. Listen with a deep appreciation for their feelings and experience. Listen for what they're committed to. Listen for the goodness in them. Listen for how everybody can win rather than win-lose. So, you know, that's the way you become a great listener. I, I, the, the man who introduced this to me many, many years ago was a man by the name of Lou Epstein. And when you would talk to Louie, I mean, oh, my God, you felt so loved and appreciated and heard. Why? Because he had his attention on you, not him.
2: Right, right. And, and, you know, you were talking about that internal voice, and I think for some people, it's so hard for them to recognize that they have the power to turn off that internal voice. They have the power to change that thought of, you know, oh, that person is telling me something and I don't believe him, or that person is telling me something and they're bragging, or, you know, they're, they're, like you said, they're having this internal voice. So, how? I mean, you're right. It makes a lot of sense to focus on the other person and to turn off the internal voice. So, how do you do that?
1: Well, again, um, the fundamental problem, Molly, is that human beings are unconscious. Right. And that's not a nice thing to say. But the fact of the matter is, I was unconscious for the first 37 years of my life. I didn't have a clue what was going on. So the only way you can do this with people is you've got to educate them. That's why I give speeches. I mean, I gave a speech in Seattle last Monday to about 300 people, and I spoke to this woman today, and she said, I sat there, I was in tears the whole time listening to you, because I never realized how... Much what you were talking about uh, was true about me. So why I do what I do? Why I give speeches? Why I go into companies and do workshops and training programs? Why I write books? Is people need to be educated, and if you if you educate them and you wake them up and you give them this information, you know the vast majority of people are thrilled, and then they you know they do their best to get to work trying to implement. Uh, incorporate into their life, which is the real challenge because the ego is vicious. The ego doesn't want you to know this stuff. It doesn't want you to learn to listen well. The ego wants to be in control of your life, and it does a very good job for most people of doing it. So you've got to work on this stuff all the time, but it starts with somebody waking them up and, and explaining to them how life works and then seeing themselves in it and being committed to start to changing it.
2: Right. So when you start to change it I want to go back to what you were talking about that we're unconscious because that is that's such a huge issue for us to become aware for us to see, you know, the 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 mindfulness that that people are starting to talk about more and more and more is right. that we are not we're mindless half the time. And right. and and I know that I have to work on it and I'm sure you have to work on it cuz we're still in this human body, right? <laughs> (laughs) And it's not an easy thing. So just being mindful, just the fact that you were talking about you have to wake people up, you know, that you are giving these talks and giving these workshops and you're waking them up to the fact that they don't even realize that they're mindless when they go through their day. So mindfulness, then once you're mindful, then you can say, wait a minute, am I really paying attention to what Scott is saying? Am I really focusing on what he is saying? Am I am I with him? Am I hearing, not only with my ears, but am I hearing with my heart and my soul and my whole psyche? I, I think it's a it's a it's a shift, isn't it, Scott? Yeah, I
1: I uh, I created these little tent cards, and I've given out hundreds of them, if not thousands. And so uh, you know, I gave this talk on. For example, on last week on Wednesday in Seattle, and there was about 300 people in the room, and I gave everybody a tent card as they walked out of the room to put on their desk. And the tent card on one side says, be conscious of, uh, of be aware of which conversation you're listening to. And on the other side of the tent card, it says, be conscious of how you listen. So I, and there's of course one other thing on the card which we're not going to talk about, uh, in this particular program, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I have to work on it every day. Every day I get up, I have a ritual that I go through, I have a, I have a document that I read to remind me, to wake me up, to make sure I don't start my day being unconscious, and, and I have to work on it every day because the ego is uh, vicious. It wants to take over. But the good news is, you know, I tell people, Whenever you're, in a, whenever you're in a conversation with somebody and you hear that little voice in your head say, Get to the point, I don't, I don't agree with you, I don't think what you're saying is right, or Would you hurry up and stop talking so I can talk? Whenever you're in a conversation with someone and you hear that little voice, then you know by definition that you have your attention on yourself, you're not listening to them, and you're concerned with your survival. So the moment that you notice it, you've got to practice this. The moment you notice that little voice, you've got to say you've got to shift, and you got to say, "Oh, I'm not. I don't have my attention on them," and immediately get your attention on them. And with a little practice, you know, it takes they say it takes twenty five days to create a new practice. And uh, the fact that we've we've, worked, we've learned from neuroscience is that the, the brain is much more malleable than we thought it is. And if people just Practices and practices and practices, they start to create new neural pathways and they can really start to rewire their brain. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, it's especially difficult to do that when someone is admonishing you or attacking you, or attacking something you believe. You know, it's easier to listen when it's something that you want to hear. You know, you're with your spouse, and they say you're such a, you're so wonderful. Thank you for making dinner. That's easy to listen to. You know, <laughs> you know, when I my whole career is sitting in the middle of people who are in conflict that are trying to resolve conflict. So it's harder, and everyone here should know that it's harder if you're talking to your boss and your boss is telling you that you're not up to speed or you didn't complete the project in the way that he or she wanted. It's a lot harder to to do this when you are hearing something that you really don't want to hear it's hard enough when it's something that you're neutral about but when you don't want to hear it then you put up these roadblocks, or you put up your wind as I say you roll up the window so one one of the things Scott you know I agree with you a hundred percent and I think it's it's a challenge for all of us for me too I work on it all the time one of the things that that I find is really helpful at least for me, and for getting myself uh, in the middle of a conflict, for getting the other parties to hear each other, is to make sure that when I hear what someone is telling me about a, a situation, that I repeat back what they say. If I have to focus on repeating back what they said, or reflecting back and reframing, then I can't be focusing on my own internal voice because I'm so focused on <laughs> having to repeat what they said. So that's a Well, I want to
1: give you a different point of view. I hear that, but I can argue, Molly, that when you're
2: trying to hear
1: what they have to say so you can reframe it and reflect it back to them, I want to suggest to you that I could make an argument that you really don't have your attention on that. See what I try to do when I'm talking to people is just get over in their world and get what it's like for them. And you know what? When I when I do that successfully, when I really are, am successful in getting over there in their world, when I get when they get done speaking, I know exactly what to say. I know exactly what they said. I you know I almost don't even need to feed back to them what they said. I mean I I, I actually find that I, uh, I will know intuitively what to say that would be appropriate to them at that particular moment mm-hmm. uh, because I've really, really, really been over there in their world. So I don't, I don't necessarily, you know, w- repeat back to them, but I might say something like, you know, I, I really hear how discouraging that is for you and, and how sad that makes Yeah, you're me. showing your empathy, I yeah. I say something back to them it makes them really feel heard uh, and not necessarily just feeding back to them what I heard them say.
2: Right. Well, I and and I agree with you. You you talk. You're showing empathy for where they are, or right. you're showing that you understand. And of course, when I do that as well, that's one of the things I have to do. Is I go, wow, that that had to be really a challenge for you, you know? Right. Um, and this is what I heard you say. And one of the reasons that and, and for people who are listening that really are like trying to help their family or they're trying to help their friends as as a quote mediator and in between. The other party might not be listening, and so if you repeat back, or at least kind of let them, you know, reflect back what was said, they might hear it now from a third party that they wouldn't hear from the other. So that's why I yeah, do it. Yeah, that's
1: very, that's very, very good because I don't do mediation, so I don't. Find right,
2: myself right. So that's just to one make of the
1: sure. Yeah, the other party hears it, but I, but I understand your point in that. Yeah, I would probably turn to the other person and say, "So did you really hear?" what they just said. Yeah. Why don't you tell me what you heard, and I'll make sure that you heard what they said. So I yeah, I Yeah,
2: or mind. and sometimes it just really helps. Get, well, I've noticed that it softens the person when that I say, "Well, this is what I heard you say. Did I get that right?" and they say, "Well, yeah, Mar, you got part of it right, but you missed this one part." Well, that helps me to get clarity on what they're trying to do. Of course, this is problem solving, so it's a little bit different from just well, being did. a boss coming in and hearing that, you know, you're you're uh Your employee, you know, had a uh, husband got ill or something, and you're giving compassionate response. It's a little bit different. So, but but what I was trying to bring up is that when you do have to repeat back, or you force yourself to be focused enough, and you could say, "Gee, you know," like you were saying, Scott, "Gee, that must have been really hard," or "Gosh, I'm, I'm." so sorry that you had to go through something like that and I understand this is what you went through and um, it just it's just it really does show understanding people feel so much better when there's this compassion that you do and then when they're in conflict it helps them see that you really do get what they say I right. had one client who's a very very dominant client and I make sure because if you don't tell him back, he goes, you just don't get it. So I immediately say, this is what I heard you say. Let me make sure I got what you said. And then he really likes it because then I go this did I get it and he goes yeah right. you got yeah, very it good. Very so good. so for me in conflict and again you're talking about maybe just in the workplace to build relationships but in conflict sometimes it's helpful to go a little bit further but for me if I know I got to listen I I really, really focus on what they're saying, and it and it takes me away from that stupid internal dialogue that's that's judging or right. thinking about what I'm going to say next, or right. you know what I mean. <laughs> it kind of is a is a trick in a way at first until you get used to it. It's a right. way to force yourself, you know, to do that. Right. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, we have a couple minutes left, just to quickly talk about our uh, some of the alternatives to the confrontational model of communication so we just have about two minutes maybe you could give a little bit and then everybody can go and look at your book unshackled leadership uh building businesses based on faith trust possibility and abundance by scott hunter so scott can you just give us a little tidbit about that
1: Yeah, uh, if 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 you're in a relationship and you want it to work, I've always said that there are three things people need to learn. Number one, you have to talk about everything. People get in relationships and they get disappointed and they don't talk about it and they file it away and the file builds up and eventually they kill off the other person. So there's three things human beings need to learn. Number one, you have to talk about everything. Number two, you have to speak about it in a compassionate, sensitive way Uh, And talk about what it's like for you so that you don't, the other person doesn't feel like they're attacked. So you have to learn how to talk to people about your upsets and disappointments so that you're not accusing them of anything. And then three, you've got to learn to make it safe for the people in your life to talk to you. So there is an art to doing those three things. Uh, We could do a whole uh, uh, interview on exactly what those three things are, but I'd say I could have saved a lot of grief in my life if I would have learned in all my relationships, number one, I've got to talk about everything, I have to talk about it in a way that honors the dignity of the other person, and I've got to make it safe for them to talk to me and not get defensive and not not listen that I'm being attacked and not to explain and justify, And, and people that have great relationships have learned those three lessons
2: perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Scott Hunter, author of Unshackled Leadership. Thank you, Scott. Terrific job. Keep up the great work, okay? Thank
1: you so much. I loved it. Some people die for love and I believe it's true because I do the same for you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.